fun-filled episode of Rank and Review. This is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and we're going to venture for the fifth time into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with regular contributor Mr. Sky Brandon. I'm so grateful to Sky. He's a very busy, very creative, very awesome human being, and he doesn't have enough time to really be dedicating all of this movie watching and reviewing with me. He just does it because he's just a really nice guy. And uh, got a quality episode here. Everyone keeps on telling me how Marvel has been slipping and Marvel's, you know, age of strength is behind them. And uh, I don't know, other than one movie that we kind of pick on pretty hard in this list, I think our love for Marvel is still present. But do you agree? Do you disagree? In either case, you should prepare yourself for spoilers and for some coarse language for these six Marvel movies that are about to be reviewed. And you can send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankandreview.ca. Thank you so much for your ears. Now let's talk some Marvel. Mr. Sky Brandon is once again back on Ranking Review, and he's literally in my damn basement, face-to-face <laughs> <Better>. <laughs> recording. Although we've had pretty good luck recording online. I've, like, the whole age of COVID were some dark days for Ranking Review. I was forced into a technological <laughs> position I just did not deserve to be in. Uh, shocker. We're going to talk about Marvel movies again. And by the way, if you ever decided that you were tired of doing superhero movies or you wanted to try... To try something else while we're waiting for the next slate of six. Yeah, fair enough. Well, by all means, I think Disney has threatened that they're going to slow things down a little bit. Yes. And to that end, there was a couple things I wanted to bring up. You know, every time we sort of have a different take on them. Do you believe that superhero fatigue is real? Would be the first big question. And the second one is... What do you see as the plus and minuses of the kicking down of the multiverse door? I know that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness talks about it, but this is happening more and more. DCU tried to get into it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's struggling to be first, and they're all forgetting that Spider-Man across the multiverse got there first. Before everybody else. Before everybody else. And now <laughs> there's just this bottleneck of all these multiverse, multi-character movies and... I don't know how to feel about it personally. <laughs> so I, I, where do you land on that? Superhero fatigue and multiverse, where, where do we feel about those? I think I do. I, well, I, I agree as if I'm assuming you're agreeing with me before you even say the statement. I do think that there is fatigue, but it's maybe not because of volume. I, I think it's actually about the quality. I think a lot of things were getting ramped out. And then some of the things lately, as I'm sure we'll talk about, is like, well, that 
why did we get that? That wasn't better or as good as the thing that set it up or came before it. So like now you're just cramming out stuff for the sake of cramming it out as opposed to taking your time and making it good. And I'm a big Marvel fan, but yeah, it's like I, we let go of our Disney Plus subscription oh, and, wow. I, and I haven't watched a bunch of the shows. Like I'm still right there on the, on the movies and stuff. And now that Loki 2 is out, maybe I'll go back because I really like Loki season yeah. one. Really liked it. Like okay, well maybe that'll be the thing that'll entice me back, and I'll catch up on Secret Invasion. And, I but. agree. The series is just a little bit of a step too far for me. I mean, we're already in this like thirty movie chain, yeah. And like it took James Bond decades to get to this place, and like we've been here on a dead run. I also think yeah. that they kind of creatively paint themselves in a corner because they need to, by necessity of the the industry try at least to keep topping themselves yes and like they started with iron man and they got to the avengers and and thor ragnarok was like a real crowd was guardians of the galaxy like how do you continue to top yourself and uh as you're picking off all of the more popular characters you find yourself in some of the more obscure corners of the marvel universe in previous episodes i've had some knowledge base on what we're going here but i admit shang chi the eternals pretty much blind spots for me yeah. these were pretty brand new yeah which i think could be a benefit if they set it up well right because then it's something like oh yeah it's another superhero movie but it's not something i'm familiar with yeah. so can they make it different enough and interesting enough that you're like oh now i am interested in this next wave or how are they going to interact with what's already set up um to the to your other point about like the, the multiverse I anticipated we would go there because there's been so many great comic book runs like the the original Secret Wars run when I was a kid when it came out, you know, that was great. But like the Secret Wars that re- more recently came out about ten year not quite ten years ago, Jonathan Hickman's. I'm like that's what they're. I feel like that's what they're drawing upon, right. and they're setting up. And that was all about like they had that's like Miles Morales gets pulled from one and gets left. Like he's one of the only characters from the big kind of ultimate Marvel universe that they kind of created off to the side and then they had the mix and then Miles Morales ended up staying and the maker which is like an evil version of Reed Richards is left behind and actually right now as we're recording this they're doing a four issue uh, miniseries called Ultimate Invasion which is kind of reintroducing that Reed Richards the maker and he's kind of reestablishing some of the shit that got thrown out the window Right. so I'm like, yeah, I, I was anticipating multi, uh, multiverse. Now, can they pull it off? Yeah, well, that becomes the question. And how quickly people tend to get fatigued and cynical with it. Like, I'm going to put a little bit part of the blame on DC in its desperate need to mm. catch up to Marvel. Like, we got to do Batman versus Superman right now. And we're going to do the death of Superman at the same time. And we're going to, like, da-da-da-da-da. And, like, they've done some good things. I like James Gunn's Suicide Squad. And, like, they, like... I don't want to be completely dismissive of DC, but if you're going to compare the two, Marvel has kicked their ass so soundly that it's kind of embarrassing. But we have these two huge, ambitious studios throwing superhero movie after superhero movie after superhero movie. It's sort of like in in the 50s and 60s, Mm. there were westerns everywhere. You just couldn't make enough westerns. People were loving westerns. But at some point, the worm utterly turned, and it went from... Everything was Westerns to no one would touch it. There would be a Western every five years just for them to nervously touch the water, right? <laughs> but 
I do really seriously think we're coming upon this threshold where it wasn't just COVID, it wasn't just people being scared, scared away from the cinema. The event nature of a Marvel movie has been saturated down to a point yes. where it's like, it's going to be on Disney Plus soon enough. I'll get around to the Eternals, right? Yeah. The Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie I did not see in the theater with my kids. And for me, that was one of the first ones that I, that I finally went out and saw a movie. And I, it actually, it, thank goodness, it kind of um, reestablished a bit of faith. Like, okay, maybe things are going to be okay yeah. with this too. But then that's James Gunn and yeah. he's not there anymore. Well, and uh, yeah. the Guardians had their very specific flavor. And going to yes. the, the multiverse thing, when I was a kid, the big crossover comic, I believe, was, was DC, was Crisis on Infinite Earths where they took all of the characters from the DC universe and they were all had this big war. And the problem I had with that series of the books is the same that I think I have with the multiverse, is that there is so many characters from so many places that nobody is going to get enough time to do anything. And a lot of the peripheral characters, uh, my, my warlord, I used to collect the Lost World of the Warlord. Right. He was in like four frames of the entire series. Like, and I felt burnt as a fan, right? Uh, <laughs> you cannot please everyone. Yeah. And it's just the equivalent of putting all of the toys in the toy box and when i was a kid i did that i played with my he-man figures and i had a few transformers and, and they I all played together <laughs> and they all had a big war together and when you're a kid that's fine but when you're actually trying to tell a story that's not about this cameo that cameo look at this reference i'm talking to you flash movie uh, <laughs> It's all about referencing other materials yeah. and other characters, and you forget that you're actually making a movie yourself. Yeah. And I'm going to argue that, that Sam Raimi largely avoids some of these pitfalls, but with multiverse movie after multiverse movie coming down the pipeline, I don't know. There's a reason we don't take all our board games and mix all the pieces together and then try to play one epic game. Because you're either playing Snakes and Ladders or you're playing Monopoly. Right, and uh, I know that sounds a little bit cold-hearted and compartmentalized, but honestly, if I had notes to give, I would say, find a good character, find a good story, and tell it. The rest of the stories, the continuing universe, that will take care of itself, but yeah. uh, I do think they need to maybe calm down. I think that their stronger efforts are really strong standalones. That first Iron Man film, you know, that Thor Ragnarok was a really great, solid, standalone adventure for a superhero. And yes, there's a bigger peripheral world outside of it, but it wasn't necessarily reliant on it. Or it wasn't just that. Yeah. So. I don't disagree. <laughs> That's where I am with the Marvel movies. Is there anything else you wanted to say to the good people on the internet before we uh, go into this next chapter of our Marvel discussion the, the next slate of six yeah. well there's one thing about ramping up the production we get to meet more often and talk about them I, I suppose that's, one, that's true that is one big plus uh, no I'm, I'm ready to dive in alright well let's say for the cheap seats here the six Marvel movies that Sky Brandon and myself your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons are going to be talking about Shang-Chi The Legend of the Ten Rings The Eternals Spider-Man Far From Home no Way Home. Oh, no Way Home, pardon me. I always get these home I know. screwed up. Uh, and uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which has the return of Sam Raimi to the superhero genre, which I appreciate. Thor, Love and Thunder, and we're going to finish with the uh, Wakanda Forever. And think of all of the movies on this list that had the biggest act to follow as far as, you know. Uh -huh. First of all, your movie was nominated as Best Picture, 
which is like completely unprecedented for this type of movie. Yep. And secondly, your lead has passed, passed away, away from cancer. Yep. Now make a sequel. Good luck. Yeah. So we will discuss. Thanks for being here, brother. Pleasure. Son. It's time for you to take your place by my side. So as I said in the introduction, I don't know anything really about Shang-Chi. I think I might have like seen the comic book, but it was just one that I never pulled off the rack. Yeah. Um, I was much more into the fantasy dudes with swords and arrows fighting monsters. They, Marvel had a run of Conan, and like I said, yeah. the, Enter the Lost World of the Warlord. Those were sort of my bread and butter, if some guy was going to be fighting a monster with a sword. So this is not that, but I, I, upon watching the movie, I mean, I think there's some interesting mythological stuff. There's definitely monstery, dragony, cool stuff that maybe I should have, maybe I should have found this particular title, but I did not. Um, coming into Shang Chi, I guess my only bit of shields up was that we clearly have another origin story, yeah. but in this way, because I was completely new to it. Uh, I didn't feel like the wheels were spinning for me. It was all discovery. It was all new to me. Now, apparently, like if I watch it again later on, or once we get future Shang Chi's, maybe this will feel a little bit lesser. Yeah. But I enjoyed the discovery going on with with the movie. I think that some of the problems that we've talked about in the past with Marvel are still present. I think that they're a little bit sloppy with the villain angle in this movie, and it's unfortunate because it's a great actor and it's our main character's father. Yeah. But. We're going to mention, talk about this again with the Eternals. We have a lot of characters that have these vast histories and that have this, like, they've been living for generations and they've been heroes and villains and played every part in every story. And yet, they seem to be bluntly stupid and easily fooled by, like, <laughs> the, like their corruption seems way too easy for me. Right. I'm talking about the father and he's wanting to reconnect with his lost wife on the other side of this evil wall which his people have been protecting for thousands of years, years. But, yeah. but no she's calling to him from the other side of the wall and this is all going to work out fine I didn't buy that aspect of the story but I really like the main character I'm a big Aquafina fan Yeah, uh, she's just a charming presence and uh, she even though she's funny and like a Hollywood personality she brings a bit of a real world presence into this Crazy, crazy mythology. So yeah. Something shitty will or, or amazing or whatever will happen and everyone else will just stand there. Aquafina will say like, Holy shit, you guys yeah. <laughs> and, She's uh, kinda like the surrogate for the audience and, and I yeah. appreciated it. <laughs> it has a light sense of humor, it moves. I mean, I don't have a lot of problems with Shang Chi, but neither am I foaming at the mouth about it. 
Right. I had a good time with it. And uh, a lot of people were saying, you know, Marvel's really struggling after post-Endgame. Like, they had the biggest box office success, and they brought everyone together, and they have nowhere to go. I don't believe that they have nowhere to go. I think uh, as far as a new character to bring into the universe, it would be interesting to see, you know, what they do with this character and how he interacts. But this is, as we've talked about many times before, a welcome to Shang-Chi origin story. And for that, it works very well. Yeah, and and again, like like you, when I was younger in comics, I remember seeing it like on the shelf and, and whatnot on occasion. But it, I didn't read it like certainly on a regular basis. But I do know that he has become quite more popular too, like in the past. Well, in terms of like doing different uh, versions and iterations of the Avengers, he's been there. So it's not like they're just like, give us, give me a superhero from the seventies. Yeah. Uh, we need Asian representation. Quick, give me anything. We'll just throw it up there. Like there are things in the comics that have done quite well for and are popular time. for a while now. And yeah. like, yeah, no, there's stuff there. We just the general going audience doesn't know about it yet, which is which is great. So like, there are things that they can they can dig into. Um, even technically, I felt like. I, the special effects like you know thinking back now there wasn't anything that made me kind of go oh that looked really bad <laughs> like I, I enjoyed a lot of the special effects uh, Simu like I just that's just a great story of him landing in the part like he just basically just tweeted at them until they gave it to him I really want this please yeah, <laughs> yeah like a Canadian theater actor like yeah. he was working at MTC in Winnipeg just a couple of years before he got cast as a Marvel superhero, and now I went and watched him in the Barbie movie. Like what? <laughs> His world has changed yeah. substantially. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Yeoh obviously shows up in this movie. She's been having a pretty good couple of years here. Yes, <laughs> a nice resurgence. As yes, they say. exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice to see her. Um, but I did. I guess I should mention, like, yes, this is a very Asian-centric uh, Marvel movie, which is great, but. Uh, again, I don't subscribe to the whole woke culture thing. Yeah, I heard a lot of people complaining. Oh, it's all woke, and it's all. I remember like when they do a new Star Trek show, and they would try to make the cast of the crew as you know multi-ethnic or multi-whatever yeah. as they possibly could, and people would have a little temper tantrum before the show had even aired. <laughs> like, yes. like, like, I, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt enough to like actually watch a couple episodes before I decide that I hate it personally. <laughs> But uh, it makes sense that all of these characters be who they are, and I like that they use the sort of mythology. The the dragons are are sort of the Chinese sort of snaky flying coiled yes. dragons, as opposed to like the more medieval yes. dragon that we sort of see in your, your Eurocentric stories. Yeah, and it gives the outsider characters a weird extra pop. Ben Kingsley strangely returns in this movie. <laughs> Ben Kingsley had uh, played a character in Iron Man 3 and uh, had used the name of this actual villain. The Mandarin. The Mandarin, yes. which, again, still seems weird to say, but uh, uh, he is not the Mandarin, he's an actor, but for his sins, he is being held captive here. And he's been there so long that he's gone quite mad. <laughs> and, uh, Trevor. Trevor, that's right. His, his butt. So he's got this little pet. Uh, I can't remember the name of his pet, but when the other people see it, he's so relieved that it actually it's really it does really exist. <laughs> I was starting to wonder, but he seems like so alone and separate, and like he's the only piece of the puzzle who's exclusively comic relief. Even Aquafina has stuff to do beyond that, right. but 
he got Ben Kingsley in your movie, and he got him for comic relief. And you know what? He doesn't really get jobs. He does. He does. And that, that's a good example of like trying to tie back into something that you did earlier. Like, and if that, you haven't seen Iron Man 3, they filled in enough that it It didn't matter. You don't have to see it to know. But for those of you who did, and like, oh, this is the... I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah. not dependent on anything. I mean, a lot yeah. of people would be like, oh, Ben Kingsley, what the heck are you doing in this movie? Yeah. And... That's and for like the diehard comic book fans, like yeah, they know the Mandarin is a big villain opposite Iron Man, and so when that came, I was like, oh, we're getting the Mandarin, and I was like, Ben Kingsley, that seems weird, and then yeah. it kind of makes a little bit of sense when you see it, Iron Man three, but uh, this at least kind of, kind of, yeah, it's that's not him, yeah. <laughs> and it it fits enough. Like he did misuse the name. There was a reason for him to be punished or to have like this resentment towards him and stuff like that. Yeah. I also like about Shang-Chi that I feel like this particular corner of Marvel is kicking down the fantasy door. You know, I said when we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy, they kind of kicked down the space and the yep. sci-fi door. Agreed. And Doctor Strange kicked down the supernatural and the horror door. Mm-hmm. And here we have fantasy. Like, yes, the Marvel Cinematic is expanding to an almost insurmountably huge place, but... Uh, this was a good door to kick down because now you think any kind of mythological creature or adversary from not just this culture but any culture is fair game it's now fair game yeah and that opens more doors for them creatively yeah so again a lot of positive things here yeah yeah it sets up a lot and and that'll uh, you know not to make us start talking about it now too but it's like a similar thing with Eternals right like in terms of mythology and things that people will be familiar with by name characters um, or events it's like oh I see they're trying to riff on this thing and explain how it exists in this world and if they play their cards right that will potentially differentiate the superhero genres enough that you feel like oh I am watching another superhero movie but as you said, it's like this is a flavor of horror. Yeah. This is a flavor of my sci-fi. Um, so it doesn't feel like you know different directors and writers aside. Well, and each group is sort of focused on defending that. Doctor Strange and his group they defend against supernatural attacks. Yeah. Shang Chi has this line of defense against all this fantastic, fantastical, ancient evil. Yeah. And Guardians of the Galaxy protect us from all these. You know, God we have no idea that they're doing it for and us. Yeah, we just sit here and we complain about how cheesy their movies are. <laughs> just ungrateful jerks is what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> I, I just like think it works pretty much wall to wall, but I'm not as excited about it. And again, I don't know if it's like because we're 30 movies into the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, like if. Shang-Chi had come out when Iron Man did would it have knocked me over completely I, I don't know it's actually legitimately hard to say but I don't have any large issues with it like all of the Marvel movies you have to sort of go on a basic idea of don't fight the premise so they right. have to find drive to this ancient hidden city and yeah. like there's very left, specific right, right. Turn, yeah. Right, turn, yeah. like no, while that's happening, you're absolutely in it. But if you stop to think about it at all, it's going to fall apart in your hands. But the movie is shot well enough, it's efficiently uh, like presented enough that you don't slow down enough to start asking hard questions. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the director, Destin Daniel Cretton. Yeah. I, this, as far as I know, the first movie I've seen of his. Certainly, there's my introduction to him, but I, I 
if I'm not mistaken, I think he's lined up to do a lot of like the Avengers, Kang Dynasty, like the the announced Avengers films that are down the road. I think right. he's a big piece of that, which interests me in terms of what maybe the Shang Chi stuff will entail in terms of how it can set up and how important it becomes. Well, I like there's a lot to set up here. Shang Chi, his father, his father's origin, the Ten Rings, the Wall with the yeah. evil behind it. And a lot of times, movies feel bogged down in this. I think there's a brief time where he, when he first meets his sister for the first time, and she's really bitchy to him. Well, that was the only time where I felt the movie slowed down just a little bit briefly. But I think that generally speaking, they handled the exposition quite well. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to talk about the Eternals, but I think that they had a bigger problem because they had so, so much many, more and to so set many up. characters in terms of a. Uh, so yeah. that was probably an advantage that Shang-Chi had over the Eternals, but I, I didn't really feel like, okay, let's get, let's get to the next action sequence, or like, uh, our wheels are spinning right now, you guys, we don't need this scene. That didn't really happen so much for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I wasn't at the edge of my seat. I was sitting, I was enjoying my popcorn, Shang-Chi was solid, but uh, I want to be a little bit more excited about it. I remember the early days of Marvel... And you know what? Part of it might be my kids being younger, too, because right. they would get so, so excited about it, right? Um, like it's, it's more than fine. I have this dismissive thing I do on my show where I sort of say, it's fine. No, it's, it's good. It's a solid movie. Um, I don't think I would use this as an example to say that, you know, Marvel's losing its touch. Agreed. But I do think that because they're this many movies in, they start, we're going to have to start to look at things like how they handle origin stories now. Um, maybe the smart thing to do would be to introduce these characters peripherally in a small way in an earlier film and sort of slowly get the origin out of the way in the background somehow. Which is what they did with this version of Spider-Man, too. They dropped right. into Civil War, like, oh my god, we're getting Spider-Man. If it's really important to the story or the narrative that the origin be told that way, like Vision or something yes. like that, absolutely. Yeah. But if you don't have to dedicate an entire movie into how this person became who they are, yeah. then maybe we're starting to move past that. But uh, I, I'm happy with Shang-Chi. I, yeah. I keep on going back to it. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about yeah. that? But that one, the only thing I, in terms of like trying to sum up, is like I felt it was unique enough from the other ones, yet it didn't feel out of place right. within the mosaic of the whole thing. Uh, smallest of complaints, the uh, the Aquafina character, and I really do like Aquafina. Her transformation from sort of bumbling sidekick <laughs> to, to like, like uh, kick-ass warrior. Warrior, a bit fast, eh? Not kind of. <laughs> I mean, we liked it for her. We enjoyed the watching it, but I mean, it's just like, come on. Like, what we liked about her was that she was a real human being, and yeah. then all of a sudden, she's got to get her licks in, too. So, but again, I'm not going to seriously take too many points away from that because I smiled when it happened, but yeah. it was in a silly movie that stood out as silly. Yeah. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. 
haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. loved these people since the day we arrived when you love something you protect it So say what you will about Marvel, but they're definitely taking themselves very seriously they they are recruiting some serious talent and I get the feeling like they'd maybe earned a reputation of not playing well with others and that they're trying to work against that. Hmm. I mean, a lot of good directors were hired to do Marvel movies, but they then didn't finish the project. Ended up walking away. And um, maybe the later they're getting into things, the more they're willing to hire directors and let the directors make their movie. Yeah. There are pluses and minuses to that, but I will respect it, you know? I think that. If you hire an Academy Award winning filmmaker and you're going to pay them top dollar, you should respect their vision. Chloe Zhao, she's an Academy Award winning yep. filmmaker and she's going to make a Marvel movie full of uh, an entire crew of brand new eternal superheroes. And uh, she's going to do it with her style and her voice. And the movie feels different. Like, yes. it, it does have this. To oversell it, this almost Terrence Malick attention yeah. to like how pretty and the yeah. aesthetics Good of everything, call. Uh, like that's a big name to draw. But yeah. it's it's in that neighborhood. Like that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to make it feel tactile and real and consciously cinematically beautiful. And that slows things down a little bit, but it's beautiful and it's really easy on the eye. And then you have about a dozen characters that you have to introduce and set up. And they are introduced and set up fairly efficiently, considering that's many of them. Yep, agreed. But it does slow things down. I think uh, The Eternals works at its best, and I, I, I hope that the director wouldn't take this as an insult, when The Eternals are fighting monsters. <laughs> like, that's when the movie is really cooking. That's what I'm there to see. And right. the movie seems to sense, oh, it's been too long since we've had a monster fight. So suddenly a conversation will be interrupted with a monster fight. And I'm usually grateful for when it happens. But I felt the runtime in The Eternals. It is two hours and 35 minutes long. I don't know how that compares to Shang-Chi. I think Shang-Chi was closer to two hours. but It was definitely shorter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can be short, you can be long. but it, it If it feels. It shouldn't feel <laughs> long and there were times where the Eternals felt long that said this is not a thumbs down review like um, I think that the ambition of the movie needs to get some measure of respect because like I said there was so much material to cover there was so much they were trying to to force down our throats and um, yeah these are characters that are created by this being in outer space, which is responsible for creating and building planets and civilizations, and wiping them off the map. When and they're done their job. Again, yep. And wiping them off the map, and building them up again. And that's sort of the system of circle of life of the universe. And these Eternals, strangely built, I guess, I don't know if they're robots or this ghost in the shell kind of thing, 
uh, once they've finished a cycle and that civilization is brought to an end, their memories are wiped and everything starts over again. And once that knowledge is made clear to them, well, it sort of brings into question what their true purpose is. Are they creators or are they destroyers? destroyers. They sat on their hands while Thanos destroyed half of the universe. Because they were told because not to. Because they were told fear. not to. But again, like, these are eternal ancient beings and they finally, you know, like all together have this sudden epiphany that maybe this isn't the way things should be. And I found the flaws in the characters frustrating. I think that it could be interesting, somebody who lives forever, there's a philosophical tenet that says anything that goes on forever will lead to madness. Even if you're living the most privileged, right. happy, successful life, whatever, you, you could be directing a full slate of theater every year for the rest of your life. But in a few thousand years, you're going to be really over it, right? <laughs> and what happens to an incredibly powerful being when they lose their marbles? I think this would be an incredibly interesting thing to explore, had it been explored a little bit better. The two things that, that I mean, other than the big monsters and the archetypal god figure that they're basically standing up against and that's balls like we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're waving a middle figure at god it reminds me of Terry Gilliam's uh, time bandits where the little time bandits steal the machine from god and are in pursuit god is pursuing them for his time machine through the movie like balls <laughs> so like they have enough going against them but they have the sprite character and Icarus character, particularly, yeah. who turn against the group so completely and so maliciously evilly that I found it stretched credibility. Like, I didn't believe it. Yeah. And I know, like, the whole setup, all of the Marvel movies are on their face kind of ridiculous, but I hadn't been slapped in the face so hard with... I do not believe this character beat than when Sprite stabbed one of our main characters in the back. In the back. Yeah. I was like, no, you didn't set this up at all. This is, it's a shocking moment. It, we but didn't it didn't feel it earned. Coming, but it, it was not earned. And even more than that, her she gets rewarded for this. She is rewarded for that behavior. Yeah. Now <laughs> you get to... <laughs> yeah. Oh. We have been friends and we've lived together for thousands of years. And yes, you've been trapped in this body of a little girl, kind of reminiscent of an uh, uh, interview with a vampire. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst is yeah. sort of frustrated because she loves Brad Pitt, but her body won't allow her to do anything about it. And yeah, that's a weird place to be in. But for thousands of years, you're still like, no. No, I, I, I was really frustrated by that. And Icarus, I think they tried to justify it a little bit more. They gave him a little bit more... Because they weren't trying to surprise us with Icarus. He was always looking a little bit yeah. suspicious in the corner. Well, and I'll talk about that in a second, but I'll let but, you finish. Damn. There's a lot to like, but for everything that I like, I think there's something that's weighing the movie down a little bit. Still a thumbs-up review, but there are problems here. Yeah. The, what bugged me the most was like, you know, when I was watching the, you know, the trailers and when it was setting up, I'm like, oh, this is looking good. Like, a lot of actors I like. It'd be interesting to see how they interact and scenes together and you know so and by definition it's going to be a really diverse cast because they're representing what we see all over our own planet even though they've been here for Ever. thousands and thousands of years or whatever it's like oh this would be really 
great. And, and a lot of actors amongst them, too, that were not known to me. So I'm like, okay, some new faces. But then after watching the trailer and then I started watching the movie, within the first few minutes, I'm like, oh, well, fuck, I know Icarus did it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because because of what they showed in the trailer, what bits oh, and see. stuff, like his scene with Salma Hayek's character, right? But then when the movie started, like, she's essentially already dead, dead and we're getting, we're going to get stuff in flashback. I'm like, well, he was the one talking to her, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's him. Yeah. So I, I wasn't surprised. I, I would have liked to see a little bit more uh, torment in him, too. Maybe yeah. in his soul he believes that the celestial is right, this is the system of the universe, and like it or not, we have to do that. Yeah. But he should not be okay with murdering his friends. Yeah. And he is okay with and, it. And I guess we're expected to believe at the end that he just, you know, by flying himself literally into the sun, and Icarus, and like essentially destroying himself, that that's him... That's his rep. That's that's penance. yeah. It's like I'm just gonna. This is what I'm gonna do to myself because of what has transpired. Yeah, I have been so wrong for so long. <laughs> what is interesting about his arc is having knowledge that some of the others do not have. Yeah, and then them realizing, like, oh my god, you knew this already, and you've been not telling us. And then it makes sense that he showed up to save them from that monster attack. It wasn't just a coincidence that he happened to be in the neighborhood when these evil creatures from ancient history have returned all of a sudden. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I want to say some nice things about the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Keegan, Kogan, yeah. he plays Droog. Great. He's a really good actor. And he might have the most punchable face in Hollywood. I don't know what it is about him. He's probably a super nice guy. Because his eyes, for me, it's like, what's going on behind those eyes? There is something on his face that you do not <laughs> trust. And in certain movies, it works wonderfully. But like in this movie, I yeah, like... I almost wanted him to be the bad guy. It seemed like they were <laughs> but, setting it up. So a little that bit. was at least for his benefit, good because like, oh, well, that's great. He's not the bad guy. No, nope, nope. <laughs> And I really like that. I, I also wanted the Gilgamesh, uh, Madong Suk. Yeah. I hope I'm saying that name right. I apologize to anybody who knows how that's actually supposed to be pronounced. I fell in love with that dude in a movie called Train to Busan. <laughs> he is. Fucking awesome! Cool. Train to Busan. I don't know that, and no. I was so happy to see him in a Marvel movie. Like, here's a nice payday for him. I actually looked him up on IMDb. He's got a lot of credits behind him. He's been working for a while. He's fine. Yeah, he's doing fine. <laughs> but it was so great to see him, and I really did like him. Uh, I believe, and I might be inventing this, but I believe I've heard Angelina Jolie say that she'd never had any interest in doing a superhero movie, and here she is doing a superhero movie, and yet. I still believe that she has zero interest in doing a superhero superhero movie. She smiles and she's stoic and she's got this character who's kind of barely there crazy. But there was, if there was a performance that felt a little half-hearted or phoned in, that was the one for me. Right. And um, now I'm blanking on her name, but who played Cersei? Oh, Gemma Chan? Yes, thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't realize until after I watched them, like, oh, she's actually in Captain Marvel, too. She plays Minerva in Captain Marvel, oh, one really? of the Kree. But, of course, in that, she's in makeup and up. stuff. So I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. They're finding... Because they do that every now and then. They'll have an actor who's like, yeah, they're playing just a different character in another Marvel movie, and you Why didn't not? see it. Well, James Gunn has threatened to give uh, Superman another job. Uh, what's his name? Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Right. You're not Superman, but I think I got something else for you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So who knows? Um, Kumail Nanjani. 
usually known as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. As I remember, a fairly slight, slender, not muscularly built guy. He went through some kind of physical transformation in this movie. And he put his heart back and soul into it. Too bad they didn't give him, like, anything to do. Yeah, like, <laughs> he, he had lots of great... One-liners. Delivered the one-liners, as you would expect he would do, as being as funny as he is, but... But all of the other characters, e- even, like, in their small way, seem to have a role that they, they contribute to the group. Except for him. He's, like, the one-liners, and he's got his dad doing his videography, and... <laughs> He's been a Bollywood star forever, and he's not tired of it yet. He'll do it for another hundred lifetimes. Before he pretends he to be the next generation of the same family. Yeah. That's right. Um, and again, that was fine, but it just... Uh, I don't know if it didn't And I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but a lot of the powers of the different Eternals seem to be mirrors of different uh, DC heroes. We definitely had a Flash. We yeah. definitely had a Superman. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I don't know what uh, Gilgamesh's powers. I'm trying to remember... But he just had a super punch. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, Barry Keegan's characters seem to be the most overpowered of the group. Just be able he to seems to charm make, and persuade anybody. He can seem to make anybody do anything by thought. He is like Professor X on crack. So yeah. again, if his mind snapped someday and he did become a villain, that would be a serious fucking problem. And actually, just last year they did a um, uh, a run where they kind of crossed up the Avengers. Um, and the Eternals and the X Men, and uh, and yeah, he he is the bad guy in that run. There you go. Yeah, yeah, he is the one that everyone else is trying to working together to stop. Um, I guess, and again, I do not subscribe to the whole. These movies are woke, woke culture. Yeah. Political. You know what? They've been talking about it when it, when I was going to high school. It was political correctness. Political correctness was going to destroy the world. And now it's wokeness. It's just a different name for the same thing. And they've been bitching about it for 40 years. And it is yet to destroy the world. I don't care that there's multi-ethnicities being represented. I don't care that one of the Eternals is gay. It's, it's very peripheral to the details yes. of what's going on in this story. It's, it's, it's texture, really. I hate to be that dismissive of someone's cultural background. But in a superhero story, really, it's, it's set-dressing to a large, large extent. We're not interested in, you know, where you were born on planet Earth. We're interested in where you got your superpowers. <laughs> exactly. At any time a critic or a fan gets bogged down in that, you are the problem. Yes. I Again, Could not if someone wants myself. to sit here and tell me that this movie tripped over its own feet because it was trying to please everybody, I, I disagree. I would say this movie took some risks, and actually some risks that maybe hurt it a little bit. But I respect it for the risks it took. And now that this origin is out of the way, I would be very interested to see what an Eternal sequels look like. Well, and this did one is a good example of what we talked about. Like maybe you know, if you don't need an origin movie, it's like, well, they gave us Black Knight. They gave us, um, uh, um, oh hell, played Jon Snow, Kit Harrington. Kit, jeez, yeah. I was going to. They s- were suggesting that in the, the the end scene that the secret he was about to tell her was that he has his own superhero origin. Exactly. Story. So we're going to get Black Knight, but we probably don't need a Black Knight movie. It's like no. we got him introduced in this one. He's going to pop up. He'll be parts of stuff, but there's a way to get his story and his... Uh, that his... was a tell because it was Kit Harrington, right? Yeah, like, you're not going to have like, someone that... <laughs> why is Kit Harrington in the movie as the, uh, you know, 
the love interest of one of them. Yeah. Sorry, I have to go save the world again, sweetie. Okay, yeah. we'll see you at the end of the movie. No, like, I, I believe that he had more of a card to play. And Harry Styles as Star Fox. Yeah. Thanos' brother. Uh, to be honest, neither of those end scenes really did much for me. Yeah, I, I think that's for the comic book fans more than anybody yeah. else. It's like, oh, we're getting Pip. And, uh, At two and a half hours, I was ready to get out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, again, I feel like I focused on the negative stuff, but uh, I am mostly positive about the movie. And, uh, like, I would rather, if it was going to fail, it failed taking a risk. It would have failed just being bland sauce. Yeah. So. And different from Shang-Chi in this regard, for me, this feels like it is, is m- there's much more differences with this one compared to others. But I was okay with that because it's such a long game in terms of trying to set up their story and what's going on. Like I felt like it needed to feel different. If it felt like... A, a different version of an Avengers ensemble thing being just truncated into one movie. No. And say what you will, this is not the Avengers. This is a different thing. It's not just another super group. So, no. Well played. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. Sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. Damn everything you want. While the world tries to make you choose. I can't save everyone. What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. So Spider-Man, no way home, no way home. All of these home. <laughs> he was homecoming, then he was far from home, and now there's just no way home. There's just no way home, and I'm sure we're going to see more Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But one of the many things I will say positive about this entry is that it really does succinctly complete a trilogy. Yeah, like they understood what a trilogy was and they executed it very well. And like again, it's not all over. There's going to be more Spider-Man adventures and. Anyway, um, this was the movie that everyone said, COVID, no COVID, whatever. We're showing up for this Spider-Man. And as much as the multiverse had happened before, this was not an animated feature. We got to see our legacy Spider-Man fight together. And they did the best they could to keep that secret. I know I'm dropping it now, but everybody knows now that... There was Toby enough McGuire set and photos Andrew, of them yeah. visiting the sets. I don't yeah. think they were just dropping by to say hello and wishing them well. And I think that as much as I spent the introduction bitching about multiverse and the problems that these doors kind of open up, this one was fun because I did watch all of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah. At the time, I hadn't seen the second Amazing Spider-Man, but I had seen the first Amazing Spider-Man, so I was familiar with Garfield. Right. And I thought it was handled well in that, like, 
they chose the right villains to focus on and um they didn't get bogged down in the mechanics of it. They didn't like why did these guys show up and no one else, and they didn't show them falling into our world a la Terminator or something like that. <laughs> Doc Ock suddenly shows up on a bridge causing destruction. He pins Spider-Man to a wall, and when he takes the mask off, he is deeply confused because this is not his Peter Spider-Man. Parker. <laughs> this is not, not his Peter Parker. Parker. <laughs> and, um, yeah, this is, this is a problem. <laughs> I thought... I thought too, like what I liked about it is um, just on that specific part of the story or, or the execution. Is I thought they they doled out all those things at the right time. We didn't get Toby and Andrew until like the last third. third. Yeah, like it's like no, it was about the problem of being out every, outed and no, being known who you are. To then the plan of making people like oh shit, now all these villains who I don't know nothing about are here. Mm-hmm. And then it was like oh, but now I have these allies who are another version of me to help me solve the problem. But there are definitely wins and losses for him. And yes, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. to start the plot at the end of the previous entry, Jake Gyllenhaal outed Peter Parker as Spider-Man, and his life has exploded. And it has seemed to have largely negative repercussions for him. I think that maybe, especially this iteration of Spider-Man, it would be a good thing. I think that a, maybe a university would want Spider-Man to come to their university. You know? <laughs> a, he's super good at school, and B, he will stop any catastrophe that should befall the campus. But yeah, a superhero. Apparently not in Marvel Cinematic well, Universe. Well, no, because he killed in the Mysterio. Yeah, so. he's, he's a bad dude. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's people who are wondering whether or not Mysterio was legit, which I think it's kind of amusingly handled. Hannibal Burris, you know, stand-up comedian, <laughs> yes. just deciding he hates Spider-Man for some reason. But because it's Hannibal Burris, we still find him intensely charming. Yeah. But he, Spider-Man goes to Doctor Strange and like wants a solution to this problem. And if I have a problem with this movie, I think it's the setup part here with. Doctor Strange, first of all, agreeing to do this spell. Secondly, amending the spell on the fly as he's casting it. And then thirdly, losing in a cosmic battle to a teenage Spider-Man. Like, this is all just script. This was like, this is not something that Doctor Strange would do. This is something that the script of No Way Home is making Doctor Strange lose. I don't even think realistically that Doctor Strange would lose in a fight with Spider-Man. I, I, I really don't. But whatever. They're, they're trying to get us somewhere. Because we're in a Spider-Man movie, not a Doctor Strange movie. That's right. And yeah. they definitely understood that. And um, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a little bit bullshitty. And when Doctor Strange shows up in the third act, like a, a, a disciplining school teacher, <laughs> I was really like wanting him to bring the smack down on Peter a little harder than he did. <laughs> like, this is not a mild annoyance. This is humiliating for me, right? Yeah. Especially someone like uh, Doctor Strange, who's so arrogant, you know, to be outdone by this little teenager who he was doing a favor for. Like, <laughs> for uh, for uh, saving the universe together, I'll do you this solid. And yes, he was not wrong that this caused a lot of problems. I think the moment that I realized that this was past just being a spectacle movie and actually one of the better entries of Marvel for me was the death of Marissa Tomei's character. Yeah. Well, Aunt May. Aunt May. First yeah. of all, it was a death I genuinely didn't see coming. I, I figured they had Marissa Tomei. They were sort of building this on-again, off-again romance with Lucky. Happy. Yeah, yeah. Happy, not yeah. Lucky. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, like, she's just such a great presence. Like, 
She won her Oscar for My Cousin Vinny, and all due respect to My Cousin Vinny, she's she's fine in it. She has been so much better in so many other movies since then. Like, <laughs> yeah. She is solid as a rock. And when I realized that she wasn't just injured, that she was mortally injured, and she gave that line with great power comes great responsibility, and you know that she's going to die, Yeah, it hit me. Yeah. It, like, I wasn't crying in the theater, but I felt it. And it had been a while before I, since I'd felt something real in a Marvel movie. Also, her acting in that scene, really like good. her physical body, like trembles as she registers the injury that she's had. It's one of those things that, like, she's hurt really bad, but she's still somehow able to get to her feet for a few seconds before it, like, yeah. she plays it beautifully. And then Tom Holland has to react to literally the one person he has in his life who knows him fully yeah. die in front of him because of bad choices he made. That scene was powerful. And and that's what you need then for the setup for the, the last... That movie. runs the engine for yeah. the rest of the movie. Yeah. I will pass it over to you because I know I've been going crazy. The one weird thing that I will say, and it's against my character to talk of <laughs> shit about... Oh? <laughs> one, Willem Dafoe. Amazing actor. I think he's playing it a little big. Yeah. Even for a superhero <laughs> in this movie, like at no point did I believe that he was on side, and right. at no point should I or should anyone else. Like his evil was so on his face all of the time that I think it would have been more interesting if he'd pulled back a little bit. On Agreed. That. And again, I am not here to talk shit about Willem Dafoe. <laughs> like Willem Dafoe <laughs> can teach me about acting. I'm not gonna teach him shit. But like, it was weird that arguably one of the weaker performances in this movie was Willem Dafoe. I have never been fan of that particular characterization of the Green Goblin. Anyway. Right. I think that, that he, like, he, he acted what... He did the job that he was hired to do, but my Green Goblin looks and sounds very fucking different to that. But, yeah, I'm mainly super happy with this movie. Sorry, let me hand it over to you. What did you think of No Way Home? Uh, no, it, it was definitely... Uh, not to give away, you know, rankings and try to tip the hand too soon. Right. Uh, yeah, like, you know... John Watson directed like he directed all three like it felt like of a piece it was different enough in terms of building on what was there before um, bringing it back to the comic books in terms of things like oh that's pretty cool I, I, one of my f- favorite characters that got introduced around 2000 is the Sentry okay and he's not well widely known but he, then he kind of got used again through the aughts and then in the in the 2000 and teens and the way they introduced him was that he was the superhero that they never really fully flushed out. And so Stan Lee is like, oh, yeah, what's my guy? I forgot about this guy. And they had this whole promotion thing where, like, they were going to reveal this this character that they forgot that they had. And they did a bunch of comic book art to make it look like it was, like, old stuff. And then you realize when you got it, it's like, oh, no, this is brand new. And the way they rolled it out was he had been a part of the universe. The but time. because his power was just so strong, yet... He was his own villain because, like the Green Goblin, he, he couldn't control it all the time. And sometimes the Void, who was the villain, that's the realization of the original miniseries, is he is the Void. Right. When something bad happens, it's him losing control and he's done something bad. And what they've done to counteract it is Doctor Strange has made him forget, has made the world forget that he exists, including himself. So right. when all of a sudden this idea, this spell being talked about of making people forget, I'm like, 
that's coming out of the comics. Nice. That actually is something that they've used as narrative hooks before. And I respect that because you get the feeling that the the whole Marvel wing has like people who go through the comic books. Yeah. And, and like not just to mine it for material, but to pay respect. Yeah. They're making their money off of like comic book fans. Now a lot of the people who watch the movies haven't read a comic, but. Yeah. They care yeah. about the. That's why I always love like the, usually the special thanks at the end of credits. Quite often are like not just Stanley and Didco, but it's actually the, some of the people who've been writing those characters and those titles yeah. in the past ten and twenty years as well, not just the originals. Um, uh, I, yeah, I liked it a lot. I similar to you, I, like I didn't really, I didn't feel like the Aunt May death was coming until like right before it happened. I'm like, oh, this is what they're gonna do. This is smart. Yeah, but I didn't think of it then. The other thing I really loved, just in terms of moments, was Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker Spider Man getting Redemption. to save, getting get to save this MJ yeah. because he didn't get to do it the last time, and all of them having beats to play. Yeah, and and then all of them having losses. So then these other two Spider Men, these other two Peters, can tell him like, no, we actually we're a little bit older than you, and we've gone through some of these big losses. I'm, like I like that they acknowledged some of the silliness and the differences between the franchises. Like uh, Tobey Maguire is seriously not a high school student, and like yeah. his web actually it comes out of comes his, out of his, his arm. It's not something. It's like the other one's like I have to like refill the fluid thing. It's a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. You can just do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And just fun acknowledging things. The other thing, like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are both really solid like charming actors and I guess you forgot because we've been watching a different Spider-Man but yeah. it really was nice to see them again like apparently Tobey Maguire is like this huge asshole in real life but he really emulates the opposite when he's on, on screen, screen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I thought for that. a second that they'd be like oh my god are they going to end him just in terms of having Goblin right. stab him from back when he kind of makes to say like no you don't want to I'm going to stop you from doing this horrible thing because it's yeah. the road you can't go back it was a little Star Wars uh, Emperor. As we've learned in this but, very episode, stabbing the superhero in the back does not kill them. No. no. <laughs> doesn't matter what version of the multiverse they come that's from. That's right. No, that's, if you're stabbed in the back, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, I did, yeah, kind of using Doctor Strange as a bit of a plot piece. It was, again, it was one of those things where, like, I guess they do it on purpose sometimes to try to red herring or not to feel like you've been tipped off. But, like, there was clearly a stuff in the trailer for it where Wong says to to Stephen, don't cast that spell. Right. Where once you actually watch the movie, it was basically like, uh, just don't, I don't want to know anything about it. it. I got nothing to do with it. And he walks away, which is a very different, very yeah. different thing. And I was like, uh, that, that maybe it doesn't level, bug me. Even the writers me. knew that they were sort of rushing to find a solution. Um, and again, like, why did those particular villains pop up? They didn't even try to answer that question. No, it was you know? just people who know yeah. that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't use Thomas Hayden Church or um, was it Rise Defense? Yeah, it was the, the lizard. Is yeah. the lizard? They used like they probably got paid for their likeness or the character performance. But, but the, right the, at the end was the only time we got to see to them. Yeah, and like neither actor I think ever showed up on set. Maybe they lent their voice, but it wasn't. And it just. I don't know, I thought that was an odd choice to go completely CGI with the Sandman. But I I think that it was smart to not overfocus on them because I saw an interview with Michael Shannon talking about mm. this Flash movie yeah. and how he felt like it was devaluing the characters. 
a little bit. Yeah. Which was interesting, A, to hear someone shit talk a movie that he's in while it's still in the theaters. And and I also kind of understood what he was talking about. Like, um, if I was super big on the lizard, which I'm not, but if I was, I might have felt burnt. Shortchanged. By that choice in the movie. Um, but they don't focus on it, and the the less time they they spend explaining it or like trying to like give every character its beat, the more we can just focus on Peter. Because yeah. as much as everything else is this overspilling mess that he created, it is his story. And in order to fix this problem, the price is remarkably tall. It's not just that he loses his Aunt May; he loses everyone yeah. and everything. And it's not a feel-good ending to, like... No. Super, or Superman. Spider-Man is arguably victorious against his enemies, and not even by defeating them, and Lange is by helping them, by curing them, by, by fixing them, saving them from their death, but all at an intense personal cost to Peter. In order to undo this, everybody needs to forget who Peter is. And by everybody, that means his best friends. Yeah. That means Tony Stark. Well, Tony's dead, but that means... Happy. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole wing of support that he's had, like... And his his love, Zendaya, like, he loses everything. And at the end of the movie, it's sort of like where the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was at the beginning of number two in the Raimi Spider-Man. He's just in a lonely hotel yeah. or, or apartment building, miserable, being Spider-Man. And that is his lot. He has all this power, he has all this capability, and he has nothing. Good, Credits. Which is good in keeping, too, right? It's like, yeah, like, so when, like, people turn on him once they know who he is, I'm like, that's pretty keeping with the comic books, right? Like, that's always been a thing where it's like Spider Man's not necessarily the most well liked superhero. It's just as many people. Bully at school. His bully at school is <laughs> yeah. like, I've been best friends with Peter Parker my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was a nice little tie-in as he was at the end when he goes out and he's swinging out in the the winter night. And it's like, oh, that was a nice kind of tie-in reference to Hawkeye. Right. Because it was like the same, the big Christmas tree at Rockefeller and the ice rink, and which right. is a big a moment in that that TV show series happened. Like, oh, well, kind of helping you line up things if that's important yeah. to you. Introducing uh, uh, Daredevil. I was a fan of. Oh, yeah, of. I'd almost forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I appreciated like little things like that. We're like, okay, we are going to get in some version. We're going to get, it. and that was before they announced the big. That reborn. is an interesting door to kick down too, because between that, uh, introducing the Daredevil is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, I know we're not talking about Guardians of the Galaxy three, but Guardians of the Galaxy dropped the first f bomb yeah. in Marvel Cinematic universe history yeah. are we slowly angling towards some R-rated Marvel because well we're going to with Deadpool well Deadpool yes <laughs> but I mean if like I watched the original series of Daredevil when they were on Netflix and that yeah. was not PG shit that was really hard brutal violence and it doesn't seem to be easily reconcilable with the Marvel universe and yet here he is showing up in this movie and at least for that scene it worked yeah. now if Daredevil and Spider-Man were to get into a fight, uh, either with each other or with some bad guys, how would the Marvel Cinematic Universe handle that fight? Yeah. I don't think some guy's head would be pounded in a car door into pulp like, nope. or anything like that. So <laughs> It's interesting, and it makes me excited to see where things will go, but at the same time a little bit reticent because this movie was huge, and the lesson they took from it is more multiverse, more heroes more references and I think that was 
a mistake. I think I think they were already on that path. Oh, and, yes. I, and I think they started patting themselves on the back right. at this point, but then only to follow up with some some big drop balls. Yeah. Big dropped balls. On a spectacle level, it absolutely works. The third act is completely thrilling. We get lots of villains and lots of Spider-Mans, and I would be very surprised if any Spider-Man fan walked away from this not thinking they didn't get their money's worth. Well, because I think it also makes you feel, or at least it did for me, it made me feel like all the other stuff wasn't for nothing. Yeah. In a weird way, this is the ultimate Spider-Man movie. So, congratulations. Well done, Marvel and Sony. I did what I had to do. our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. Sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. We should tell him the truth. So, speaking of Spider-Man trilogy, <laughs> Sam Raimi mm-hmm. directed the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. And I know that the third one is is, is a huge mess, but uh, he was being given a lot of notes from the studio, and, and he himself was quite frustrated with that third movie. I don't think Sam Raimi would talk really positively about Spider-Man 3. But, to be fair, those Spider-Man movies went a long way to popularizing Heroes to a degree that the Marvel Cinematic Universe could happen. I think that like, Spider-Man 1 was definitely, when it came out, the best superhero movie that had come out. Yeah, and I think he actually brought it up another level with Spider-Man 2. Um, and even more and above it, I am just a Sam Raimi fan. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't even consider his Spider-Man movies to be top tier of his work. I, I love them, but I mean, it's not top tier Sam Raimi. But I really liked that they brought Raimi in. Like, if they're going to hire, like, a stalwart <laughs> Hollywood director to come in, why in the hell would you not consider Sam Raimi? This is absolutely his wheelhouse. And he loves the character of Doctor Strange, and he loves how crazy he can go with it. Like, I don't know if the world was ready for zombie Doctor Strange, but we got zombie <laughs> Doctor Strange, and I don't know if the world was ready to see, you know, Elizabeth Olsen become, like, a deadite from the Evil Dead series. But we got that. And what this movie has that a very few Marvel movies possess is madness. When they say the multiverse of madness, they are not playing. The movie is kind of out of its mind. One of the first action sequences, a big eyeball <laughs> octopus squid creature gets its eye pulled out of its face. Like... <laughs> <laughs> 
If I didn't know that this was a Sam Raimi movie, I would have suspected it. And once Bruce Campbell showed up, I yes. would be... Ah. Oh, <laughs> Sam Raimi, I see you. There seems to be a pretty steep divide in the reaction to this movie. There's like, well, you brought in a bunch of new and interesting characters from the multiverse, and you killed them on a lark. To be honest, that didn't bother me at all. I mean, I think that if you added up what those scenes contributed to the movie when all is said and done, the answer would be minimal. Like, he met a bunch of people and then the villain showed up and killed all of those people and the fight continued. But because they're all recognizable names from, from Marvel, we're just, oh my god, they killed Professor X, oh my god. My problem with those scenes was just that the movie didn't really need them. <laughs> more than anything else right. I wasn't how dare you treat the characters that way it was like did the movie need that scene <laughs> you obviously thought it did you're coming off the back of that Spider-Man multiverse thing Yeah. but for me what works about the movie is the madness is like here's a, here's a female Captain America and now she's cut in half <laughs> right? and uh, here's a fight that's going between all of the multiverses as you're falling through dimension to dimension you know, um, we sort of see that weird cube effect we saw in one of the Guardians of the Galaxy when the reality stone turns, uh, right. uh, what's his face, Drax into blocks. Yeah, like we yeah. see, like there's a whole universe where people seem to be made up of that kind of shit. And like, the movie is incredibly creative and weird about the multiverse itself. And they call it, you know, the multiverse of madness. I mean, they're not, they're not hiding from anything. So I think that what stinks people about the movie is it's a little bit bloodthirsty. Like, a lot of people die, and most controversially, uh, the uh, Elizabeth Olsen character... Um, yeah, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch, thank you. Uh, she finally sort of turns over. She, was, she has been living as Wanda and trying to deal with all of the losses that she has suffered, but finally that worm has turned and the inevitable you know, reemergence of the Scarlet Witch has happened. The difference is, is that I don't think she's coming back from that. Now, no body, no death, like... <laughs> well, and multiverse, you could probably get a different version of her, potentially. But, I don't know, I respected that they committed to that, because we really like Wanda Maximoff. <laughs> like, like she'd, she'd earned uh, her place on the team, and to see her so desperate to find some kind of happiness to her, her life, that she is completely corrupted by that desire... I actually felt worked. So I fall back on where does Doctor Strange himself land in all of this? Because in a weird way, the first Doctor Strange movie was unassailably about Stephen Strange. And this movie is a whirlwind of light and violence happening around him. Stephen Strange. And he's as much a witness as a participant. He's, I kind of identified him as an audience member. <laughs> we certainly, out of his element to a certain extent, and a fish out of water, which could be good. Well, it puts him on his heels, like he doesn't have control of the situation, really, at any point in the movie, right? Yeah. So uh, that makes, that levels the, the adversary against him, like, he doesn't have a lot of cards to play against Wanda. And he knows it. So what are we going to do about this? It is unlike any other movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that way. Like, it's definitely taking the lead that, that the Spider-Man movie had, had run, but it has got its own kind of vibe to it, and I respect that. 
So, I don't know. It sort of depends on how you feel about how reckless they were with the Marvel worlds. And that's the thing about the multiverses. You can kill all of those people, and in the end, it really doesn't matter. There yeah. are other multiverses with other Professor X's and other, you yeah. know, and it doesn't matter. So, this is the wrestling point of the movie. If, in the end, most of what we watched doesn't matter. Then why did we watch it? Why did we watch it? Yeah, and I think that's where I am. I, I, I'm not as high on. It. I was excited. I was really excited when they announced that Sam Raimi was going to be brought in as like the replacement director. I'm like, oh, this could be really interesting yeah. if they were wanting to lean into more of a horror genre because that's what they were talking about. At least that's what everyone, the vibe that was being presented was like. We're going to get something different, and I'm all for something different. But does it? It it did feel too unrelated to the previous Doctor Strange. To me, like it did. I was like, I don't think I feel like I'm watching the same Doctor Strange character, even being surrounded by different stuff. Um, my biggest beef with it too was not so much what story they wanted to tell with Wanda with Scarlet Witch, but was with the speed of which they set up the turn. Like they didn't introduce the Darkhold until like the a post credit thing on the WandaVision TV show. We haven't seen her in any other movie or show anything until that particular moment. And then all of a sudden she's walking down fucking hallways like a horror villain chasing them down. When I'm like, but it's the Scarlet Witch. She could do anything she wants, yet she's stalking them like a... Like a Sam Raimi like, dead Yeah. Yeah. So it's like... But I was shocked at how frightening she became. There's a couple yeah, of scenes... Yeah, she did it well. Like, I just didn't buy it within the narrative. Right. Right. I was like, I was like, this doesn't feel like it's the same Wanda we had, and yes, we need a, we need something different. But like, I don't know, it felt like a step was missing. I feel like she has just been taking hit after yeah. hit after hit, and she's so for movie after movie. Right, her brother gets killed. She's mm. she gets taken in with the wrong mean. side. Uh, she falls in love with Vision, but then Vision is killed. She has to kill him herself. Only for her then to watch him be resuscitated and then killed and then murdered again. <laughs> yeah. And then she finds a new place to be with Vision, and that is all a lie being told to her by this fucking witch. And she snaps. And I think it was earned. I think that we've spent a lot of movies getting here. And I think when like he's having this conversation with her, like, what are we gonna do? When he has that realization and the illusion that she's creating around him disintegrates. He knows right away. There's no conversation to be had with her. Right. If it's this gone this far already, Wanda's gone. And that was a ballsy move. Because yep. I really like the actress. I really like the character. But I think we do need to clean house. We just introduced the Eternals. There's rumblings of the X-Men and the Fantastic oh, yeah. Four yep. being folded into this. Because like, they got the rights now. Yeah. Closing the books on Guardians of the Galaxy for a while and letting go of some characters is not just smart, it is necessary at this point. So I really hope that they do stick to their guns on that. And I guess I do disagree with you. I do think, I think she earned this turn, <laughs> personally. Right. Um, I also think I come in as a Sam Raimi fan and I kind of expected the madness, like I was there for it. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, this is too crazy for a Marvel movie. And it is. The most fucked up Marvel movie. <laughs> well, maybe there's one in this list that might outdo it as strange, but uh, it's it is completely out there. It is arguably maybe more a Sam Raimi movie than it than is, it is a an MCU Mar movie. Agreed. 
but I am a huge Sam Raimi fan, so for me, like that, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I loved how stupid it was that Bruce Campbell was punching himself <laughs> for the entire movie, and that the post-credit scene was that that finally stopped, and he's screaming, "It's over! It's over! It's finally over!" And I laughed out loud, thinking, "A, that's hilarious," and B. For the large portion of the audience that hated this movie, they are 100% on board. Thank God, God it's over. It's over. <laughs> uh, I, I, I appreciated like that they took some serious risks with this movie. I appreciate that they let Sam Raimi go, and I appreciate that they understood both the benefits and the limitation of the multiverse. But I think after this movie, the lesson should be learned. And clearly, it hasn't been. Yeah, and, and, and I know it sounds like I'm probably like kind of shitting on Raimi a bit. I think some of those things are just also script issues that I right. that I have. It's not even so much him. Like, like you would have to know what you're getting when you're hiring him, right? So it's so it's not just that. It's yeah, it is some of the the narrative things, and it's like, well, if we felt like like yeah, we didn't really use Wong enough, and then you know, we got introduced to Clea. At the end, we're getting um, Charlie's throne getting introduced in terms of like, oh, here we're getting another breadcrumb. Uh, getting America introduced to us in the way that we did. Like, she's a fairly recent um, comic book character, but she's very, very powerful. So I'm like, okay, they're trying to use that way. Like, you can, I can already, like, they're trying to set up their young Avengers. Right. Down the road, however far down the road they want to set it up with, like, finding ways to try to thread them in. It's interesting though with the America Chavez or I don't know how yeah. you say her name, yeah. Colty Gomez. Is oh, the, the actress name? name? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I haven't seen her. She before. is arguably the focal focus point of the movie, and we have not mentioned her to this point. Yeah, I think. And that, no fault of her own. No, I, I no, think, no, yeah. no. This yeah. is not a performance issue. This yeah. is a character and presentation issue. Yeah. Like in a weird way, she's the briefcase that everyone's after. She's mm-hmm. the. You know, mm-hmm. the MacGuffin of the movie. Yeah. And maybe there'll be more for her to actually explore as an actual physical human character later on, but she was a prop in this movie, and that, that, that is definitely a slight against it. Yeah. But I gotta say, while it was happening, I had fun with it. I recognized that they were taking risks, and much like Eternal, it's the Eternals, some of those risks paid off for me, and some of them didn't, but this far into the MCU, I think taking risks is necessary yeah. so I'm not going to be as hard on it and it might rank higher on my list than, than you'll like it to but please understand that it has a lot to do too with me loving the, the Sam Raimi and yeah. loving the madness that he brings yeah. I couldn't believe that we got zombie Doctor Strange like I'd forgotten about the corpse but then as soon as that happened I was like here we go that's amazing <laughs> that's so amazing that we're getting zombie Doctor Strange like wow I would have lost that bet if someone said are we going to get zombie Doctor Strange you know but that's where we're at now. Like, uh, they had a whole run of Marvel zombies, and apparently, yeah, that's still, going to it, be good. Yeah. It's still ongoing. Still going. You know, like, I don't, I, I don't read them, but like, I'll go into Amazing Stories to pick there up my are. weekly, and like, they're still cranking them out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think with the Illuminati too. I think maybe it didn't bother me as much as it bothered some other people. It's like all of a sudden we finally got some kind of version of it. Right. And and it was like, oh, but that's what we got. Which is not to say, as we've already said, we might not get it or another version of it in another movie somehow in some other multiverse. Right. But it, it, I can see how somebody like, oh, we finally get it and, it, and it's over. Yeah. Just like that. 
Not so much how it was done. It was just like, we get it and we lose it. Or Mordo, the Chudal Ebjiofor character that we've been promising to become this... this. Oh, yeah, right. We haven't even talked about him. And yeah. like I was so pumped for the turn, finally, to get him from where we got on the post credit scene from the first like Doctor Strange. a dark, shadowy version of Doctor Strange. Yeah, friends. You know, They used to be friends, and now he's like, well, no, we actually were opposites now. So if you're going to bother to bring Chudal Ebjiofor to your set, and if you're going to bother to use that character... Like, use him. Use him. Use him. And again, that whole sequence... I agree. Like, you could cut it out of the movie, and the movie would just be 20 minutes shorter. But while it was happening, I didn't have a problem with it. I am sympathetic to people who did, because, yes, here's a bunch of really cool characters that you've been itching to see. Fan service, fan service, and they're all dead, Boom. and we're moving on, and that scene didn't really matter. It didn't matter to But it is an illustration of everything that the multiverse both offers and everything that the multiverse kind of is flawed by because it just doesn't matter you could kill a thousand Professor X's in the multiverse and it doesn't matter matter. and if you're telling a story where things don't matter why are we watching what are we doing yeah yeah agreed Uh, it's 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 a uh, we've already said it and we're probably going to keep saying it right (laughs) like they're not as important because we're in a Doctor Strange movie yeah if it was a, uh, if it was a Fantastic Four movie, Reed Richards would be a lot more important That's by right. getting introduced to him. But he's just like a so little. So if he gets popped like a zit in a Fantastic Four movie, then I'll shit we have my a problem. Pants. I'll shit my pants a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Until then. <laughs> These hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. I want to choose my own path, live in the moment. My superheroing days are over. Love and Thunder. Uh, in the sort of post-Endgame wave of Marvel, I think the one... Well, everybody was jonesing for the new Spider-Man because they just smelled something great there. But I was really interested to see what would happen with Thor Love and Thunder because I have to say, Ragnarok is up there for me in Marvel movies. Again, my son Tristan loved that movie so much. Yeah. Like He watched the shit out of it. And it would make him so excited, and like that definitely fed into it. But I also became, subsequently, kind of a Taika Waititi fanboy. Like, What We Do in the Shadows, yeah. Jojo Rabbit, uh, The Hunt for the Wilder People. It seemed like everything he touched was gold. And then <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder came out. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Not good. I think this might be rock bottom for the MCU. Like, I will give it time, I will rewatch it, and when we do our grand assessment someday, yeah. maybe this will change. But I think this is the single worst movie that the MCU has produced. And I sit here before you <laughs> stunned. 
but it maybe needed to happen. Like, maybe this Taika Watiti was just being hyped up to the roof to the point where he could do no wrong. And, you know, Ragnarok was just amazing. And Jojo Rabbit way overperformed. Like, that movie shouldn't have worked. It did, but it right. just <laughs> should not have worked. But with Love and Thunder, I honestly don't know where to start. The script is a fucking catastrophe. The cast seems distracted and uninterested, particularly Natalie Portman. Like, she just looks like on her face. She does not want to be there. Then, in which case, don't. You don't need the money. They've already dealt with your character. Like, good God. But, you know, Taika Waititi is making it. We'll get Christian Bale to play the what bad guy. I know. We're going to introduce the so world be, of the gods. It should be so. It should be such a, an amazing. And it's going to be crazy and funny, just like Ragnarok was, right? We're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna give you the full package, and it is amazing. I watched it again with my family, and like I didn't want to be like this big old sourpuss shitting on the movie. Like, yeah. I think they that my wife and kids liked it well enough. They acknowledged it wasn't like an amazing movie, but I've made excuses for other movies. I will say, well, this thing worked, and the other things like I like this about it. I am struggling, sitting here looking at you, trying to tell you a scene or a story arc or a character journey that worked in the movie. Like, I didn't laugh, I wasn't thrilled, I wasn't moved. It's only two hours long, but it felt three hours long. Right. And there's something so miserable about seeing all of these talented people failing so confidently. Like... I think uh, Chris Hemsworth eventually admitted that maybe we had a little bit too much fun with it, I believe was the quote that he gave. But no, I think maybe you didn't take it seriously at all. Right. Like, Thor Ragnarok is a ridiculous movie, but everybody was there for it. They were there for the silliness. They were there for the fun. They were tipping their hand and almost winking at us, but not quite. They were just doing it. This is like, come on, you guys, we can do no wrong. We got Taika Waititi, we got Thor. This is going to be amazing. Aren't those screaming yaks fucking hilarious? No. Aren't these like aliens (laughs) that are so ridiculous and cartoonish that they seem out of a Pixar movie? Hilarious. Isn't it great that like we completely changed Thor's character in the first 10 minutes in a montage? And like, isn't it great that we end up in a place that we don't want Thor to be in or don't care about Thor being in? I would have fucking rather they killed Thor's character off at this point. Like, it is such a shocking, shocking fall from grace. Nobody comes out of this proud. Like, not not Taika Waititi, not Chris Hemsworth, not Christian Bale, not, um, what's his face, who does the Russell Crowe as Zeus? Like, nobody can come out holding their heads high here. And it's amazing to me. Like, you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie. You've got... They're trying really hard. It seems like all of the pieces are here. But I, I, I am, for the first time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, completely aghast. Like, I don't know what to say. And maybe, like, I do need to come back to it at another time and, like, knowing what it is, maybe find some more to like. But I have to say, I am stunned. I am stunned. It, the, the thing that came to mind in terms of comparison it was like as an actor when you get like a positive note or I've seen it happen too is like if I've been directing a show and you're like oh I love that thing you're doing in right. that moment yeah be sure to keep that and all of a sudden it's like whoa, whoa why are you doing that 
Right. Like you're doing it 10 times. It's like, oh, they like that? Right. So I'm just going to do that even harder because that's the thing they like. It's like, no, 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 no. Now you've ruined it. Yeah. That That's what it feels like. It's like everyone like... That even though I thought they were improv a little bit too much on Ragnarok, yeah. I still really, really loved it. Like, oh man, that injected stuff. And it felt, you know, again, on the outside looking in, it felt like, dude, that was amazing. We love it. Just keep doing what you're doing. And they just kind of gave him all the money and like, yeah, buddy, pew, 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 pew. Yeah. And then they came back. It's like, oh, fuck. We got to put the, we gotta put this out. Yeah. We can't afford not to put it out because we have a pipeline and like it probably would have been. And the Jane Foster arc of her becoming Thor and cancer and stuff like that is a huge successful arc in the comics. Wow. I was, I was pumped when I knew, when I realized, Oh, that's, that's what they're going to draw on. That's going to be the source material. And we're going to get some version of that arc here. And I was like, well, that's not what I wanted or hoped for. I think with Natalie Portman, there's always been a little bit of her holding her nose to be in a superhero movie. I feel like she just, it was a payday for her. It was, this will be good for my career, it's high exposure, but she never really seemed into it to me. So my investment in that character is necessary, well, as a result, not that strong. But what you said recently, just before that, put me in mind of uh, Aaron Sorkin did this TV show years ago, uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Script, and they were talking about acting and writing. And uh, this actress is asking, you know, at rehearsal, when I asked for the peas, we got a really good laugh. And then when we did the show, it fell flat. What happened? And I said, because in rehearsal, you asked for the peas. And during the show, you asked for the laugh. Right. This movie... Is asking for the laugh. Is asking for the laugh. The whole time. The whole time. And it is not fucking funny. Yeah. Even a little bit. Yeah. And uh, no matter how hard Christian Bale pr- tries playing his gore, like... And that should be amazing. Like he's on an amazing paper, villain. On paper, <laughs> Christian Bale as a super villain is like okay, sign me up. Yep. But like he's a completely at sea, and it's again on his face. I've slowly sort of come to. I don't think Christian Bale is a bad actor, but especially when he's less invested, I can see him acting. I can see. Oh, that's an interesting acting choice, Christian Bale. And I finally kind of came to the conclusion that I shouldn't see that. It's either a good or bad performance, but I shouldn't be saying, like, that's the choice that you're making here. That's the call you're making there. And uh, sometimes I see that with Christian Bale in his less invested performances, Hmm. which I think we have to count this as. And yes, Natalie Portman, she's got a cancer diagnosis, and this Thor power is like her, not her opportunity to become a hero, but it's an opportunity for her to save her own life. And she just doesn't seem to take any joy or any, like, leveling up from the power she possesses as Thor. She just remains beautiful and stoic and kind of cold. And as a result, I just didn't care that she died. (laughs) Like, in the previous movie, people liked it or didn't like that the Scarlet Witch turned and was the major villain of that movie. And we may or may not have lost her. It sure looked like we lost her at the end of that movie. Yeah, This should have been tragic right yeah. she chooses to, 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 to use that power to have that fight knowing that it's going to cost diminish her, her the, the yeah. ability to keep herself alive but it's the right thing to do and she will actually be a hero not just use the powers to save her own life but use the powers to do the right thing on paper sure in execution I did not yeah. give a shit and we've seen her in several movies and it's like the love of Thor's life apparently and ugh. 
I talked about in the previous movie how uh, it sort of felt at times like the multiverse of madness was happening around Doctor Strange and he was just witnessing it. I think a similar thing can be said about Thor, Thor yeah. in this movie. It's a bunch of shit that happens to him. He doesn't have a lot of great control over it. Yeah. And it feels like an example of maybe potentially wasted opportunities of introducing characters in this vein. Like, we get Zeus, but even less to extent, we get Hercules and, like, a we finally get him and, like, a, you know, end drop. And, oh, we kind of see Jane in Valhalla, so we kind of get to see... You know, like, oh, we might not be getting the end of them, but we get to see Valhalla as being set up as a possibility. Yet it doesn't feel like, oh, oh. it's not the like the excitement that one might hope of, like, oh, getting that breadcrumb. I also think of how far we remember the Bernath Thor, how mm-hmm. grand and opulent and big and Shakespearean he presented all of the gods. Yeah. And in this movie, they're all fucking Looney Tune characters and jokey and derpy. Yeah. Like, these are supposed to be powerful, immortal creatures, and I, I, I hate them. Yeah. Like, they're just so dumb, and yeah, they blow off all of Thor's clothes, and we get to see Hemsworth's butt, and that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Again, Valkyrie spends the entire movie sitting on the sidewise lines throwing these little pithy one-liners out like yeah again give her something to do give anybody something to do one and then <laughs> it's like oh you like korg i'm gonna give you more korg i'm gonna be in even more of my own movie this time well i do think as much as i have a great deal of respect for taika watiti we're gonna have to hold his feet to the fire for this this was his baby he's got a screenwriting credit he directed yep. it he's in it and it's I'm sure that MCU said, after Ragnarok, you make your Thor movie. Absolutely. We're not going to fuck with you. And you know what? I understand them making that decision. Because nobody, nobody could have anticipated. Yeah. It being not as good as Thor Ragnarok, sure. I think that's up there with one of the more enjoyable MCU movies. But for it to be the nader, for it to be the (laughs) rock bottom, like, wow. Wow. People talk shit about the Dark World, which I think was a little bit oversold, but the Dark World is ten times the movie this is. Yeah. Ten times. And yet, it's like, it. The, there's real chatter of, you know, they're going to be another one. And I think, in a, in a, whether it's Taika Waititi or not, in a way, I hope it is, so that he can maybe redeem himself. Redeem himself whether it's as good as Ragnar or not, but like let him do his own trilogy within the series. But or we're going to have more Thor movies Wars than movie. anything else. Ugh. Yeah, we're in the street as what Taika Waititi is going to do a Star Wars movie. I, I mean, who knows? Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's not. I haven't lost all of my faith in Taika Waititi. But as far as me being excited about him doing another Thor movie, no. I think he has lost his Thor privileges as far as <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It's interesting because it kind of starts right away. Like Thor is hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's where we left him at the end of yeah. It was Endgame, the Asgardians so. of the yeah. Galaxy, right? Yeah, and. The Guardians are irritated with Thor's presence. Like, he's fucking with their dynamic. He's making all the calls. You know, Peter Quill is being threatened by him. And, uh, like, anytime they get into a little bit of trouble, Thor just shows up and all the troubles. Like, it's fucking with their dynamic as Guardians of the Galaxy. And they don't like Thor in that context. And I'm like, by the end of the movie, I'm kind of like, you know what? I I get it. I absolutely (laughs) get it. Fuck Thor. Thor is kind of irritating. <clears throat> and I think that would be my bullet point of the movie. I found it irritating. Like, the the screaming uh, 
sheep or whatever yeah. they were. The goats. The yaks. Or whatever. Yaks, yeah. thank you. Uh, that That's supposed to be hilarious, but it was just irritating. And I think that could be said about the movie itself. Yeah. It was trying to be funny, but it was irritating. Thumbs down. Has that come across? Yes, I think it, you made it painful. <laughs> I, have, I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be at the bottom of both our lists. I, I, as much <laughs> as I'm laughing and I have a smile on my face, I have no joy of this. Like, I have such respect for Taika Waititi. And, like, it always amazes me. This is one of those movies where, like, everybody on set was remarkably talented. Like, and yeah. I am just amazed. What? What happened? <laughs> exactly. Only the most broken people. Can be great leaders. These people did not call him General or King. They called him Kukul Khan, the Feather Serpent God, killing him. We'll risk eternal war. He's coming for the surface world. What you whisper. They have lost the protector. Now is our time to strike. Show them. If there was a movie on this list of six that I was a little bit reticent about, that I was a little bit worried about... <laughs> what are they going to do? Black Panther... Panther? Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, it just had such an act to follow and such a huge problem in that, you know, the, the star, the, the lead charismatic thing that your movie had has now been taken from you and you have no choice but to course correct i will definitely treat it with gentler hands than i would say thor love and thunder because these those were unforced errors here right yeah yeah, yeah. it's sort of like the last star wars movie I, I i can't make excuses for it i think it's bad but a lot of the problems were foisted upon it and in this case they had a lot going against them. They had to follow up a Best Picture nominee and they had to do it without the star. And considering that, I'm amazed how well they did. I'm actually going to make the case that Wakanda Forever is a better movie than Black I, Panther. I'll hop in real quick there. I, and I, th I think, I, I agree, and I think it's because, because of Chadwick's passing and that is hanging over the picture by making it part of the narrative that you know the black panther has also died it's carrying this 
weight. this weight with it where you know that like they're they're not just mourning a fictional like hey you know what would be interesting with the character what if he died and off screen like no we yeah. all know that that's what happened and so everyone's carrying that through the movie and it it just ends up having a layer that it would not be able to have if this real life component didn't also exist and I also think as good as the first Black Panther was the third act turned into a Pixar movie that last fight in Black Panther does not look good to me and it's important it's the climax of the movie and I don't think this movie has that problem it necessarily has to change its focus to Letitia Wright Shuri Shuri who's always been like a, a sort of funny charming sort of presence in the in the series but uh i i don't feel like she doesn't seem powerful to me like physically powerful like her yeah her her strength seems to become internal from her brain from her science so like you're not sure how they're gonna fill this hole and neither is the movie and that's a good part of the emotional weight that's going into it so angela bassett and denai guerrera the mm-hmm. end up having to carry a lot of the dramatic weight of the movie and both of them are in fucking incredibly good in the movie. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a little bit much that Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. Totally cool with her getting it. Deny yeah. or Angela Bassett got nominated for supporting for this movie, I would have no fucking problem with that at all. Yeah. We talked about in the Spider-Man movie how I was shocked at the death of hmm. the Marissa Tomei character. I was genuinely shocked yeah. that they killed Ramonda, the Angela Bassett character in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, even when it happened, I doubted that it was real, like, that they were going to, like, do the movie chest compressions and she was going to cough up some water and she was going to Just be, go full abyss. Yeah. Come on, you son of a bitch. Exactly. Because they'd lost too much. It was just, like, I couldn't believe that they were going to go there, but they went there. They took a sad movie and they made it sadder. sadder. Uh, and because of that, the stakes are stronger. And they found an adversary for Wakanda that makes sense. One of the problems I had with Wakanda, and again, this is just a story problem, not yeah. like a movie problem, is that their technology and their yeah. like they're unbeatable. They, there's no force on the planet that can touch them. Uh, like it would be as if you had like this incredible power cell somewhere in the world, and they just decided not to do anything about it. We could do anything, we could have anything, but we're just gonna stay in the jungle. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's, you know, it's not how the world works, even in comic book movies, right? <laughs> so we get introduced to Namor and this entire race of people that live in the ocean that are at least as technology, technologically efficient as Wakanda, yeah. and they have discovered... I, they have Iranium as well, and so haven't had it the whole time. All yeah. of a sudden, the playing field is completely equal. But unlike Wakanda, these guys seem much more keen on mixing it up and willing to flaunt their powers, like... The threat is real. And again, in the first Black Panther, with the exception of the main villain they had, who was sort of an internal, yeah. you know, uh, they didn't really have any real threat. I feel like Wakanda didn't have any real threat until Thanos showed up with right. his army. <laughs> yes. And the movie finds a way to use that. Um, they bring back Martin Freeman, who's the token white character. <laughs> 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 and uh, I love Martin Freeman. And, yeah. Like he always seems to end up in in movies, and he's used well. Um, and we bring in Julia Louis Dreyfus as more of a villainous version of him. Yeah. And I thought it was an interesting reveal that they used to be together because there's like 
Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, like, why were you guys ever together? Was she ever a human being? And were you? Or, or were what's you, what's you her turn? Right, yeah. exactly. What was the appeal? What was? <laughs> but again, it because the rest of the movie was so heavy. It was kind of nice to have them playing it a little bit softer. Obviously, they're not as invested in Wakanda, right? Yeah. And uh, Martin Freeman's character does kind of break the rules by talking to Wakanda. Like, as much as Julie Dreyfus' character is a total bitch about it, yeah, she's not necessarily incorrect in that he was, you know, he sharing information line. that he should not have been sharing. Yeah. So, and there, and I feel like they're setting her up. Just jump off topic, just ever so briefly. I do think they're setting her up well, and all the other stuff, like in terms of the Captain America Winter Soldier show. They right. introduced her in there. I think they're finding ways to. She's like, trying to be a sort of behind the scenes puppet master, yeah. sort of character. Yeah, and I just like her as an actress, and you know, she's always been worthy of more than Elaine, and she's just known as Elaine from Seinfeld, and she's always been good before Elaine and after, after Elaine she's always been good but everyone sees Elaine and uh, yeah. no Julie Louis-Dreyfus has got game absolutely yeah. um, so I don't know like I was I was surprised at how much I liked it but at first I was thinking was it because I came into the movie kind of suspicious or worried or like what are they going to do that I liked it like but upon watching it for the second time for the podcast it's qualities kind of reasserted itself it's a longer movie, it has a lot to deal with, but it still moves. Mm -hmm. And we're willing to sit with the more dramatic, drawn-out scenes because, let's be real, they're earned. Yeah. They're earned in the real world. <laughs> like, yeah. there's some legitimate mourning happening with this movie. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I didn't take it as personally as a lot of people, but I bet you there were a lot of little kids growing up watching Black Panther that, that when Chudalegi, or not Chudalegi, when... Uh, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, pardon me, passed away. They took it personally. I remember the first celebrity death that really hit me was John Candy. Right. Because I'd grown up watching John Candy movies, and he was always such a likable presence, and I kind of mourned him a little bit. I'd never met the man. Right. But I kind of mourned him a little bit in a real kind of way. Yeah. And uh, I think that this movie is sort of, that's part of its DNA. And maybe that gives it a little bit more than it deserves in some respect, but I can't deny that it's there. And I'm sorry, I will let you speak, brother. I also complimented the uh, Eternals for how beautiful it was. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler returns to direct here, and it has a much better look to it. Like, it feels less CGI. There's just as much CGI in this movie as there was in the first Black Panther, but I don't know if it's the lighting or how they approached it. It feels more tactilely real. Yeah, and the Black Panther. There's a scene where but they're having the big fight and the train is going by them and like Oh yeah, yeah, on the first the one. Air. Yeah. And I was just I'm watching a Pixar movie. I'm not invested in the reality. Where Anytime, the fight between Shuri and Namor is just fucking a fight. Exactly. That's what I'm gonna say. Like yeah. and, and it, like each hit, like you felt the impact of each hit, and they're still doing all these crazy special effects, and these are feats that no normal human being can do. But it viscerally feels emotionally right yeah. and uh, I, I'm not going to blame entirely the special effects but that was part of it in the first Black Panther whatever that problem was which I can't quite articulate here they seem to have solved it yeah. in the sequel yeah they um, this for me is an example of like where the same director is making them feel connected like I said, I said the same thing with John Watts, but the Spider-Man, he did all three of that trilogy, and right. they, they feel together, having Coogler writing and, and doing it again, I'm like, 
I felt like it was an extension of the first one that I'm in the same world. Um, whereas opposed like with the Doctor Strange, because Sam Raimi didn't do the first one, it just seems so vastly different than the first Doctor Strange. Um, what I appreciated just narratively was just the way they like, oh yeah, right, the the herb, the special flower that they use to make, you know, that it gives the Black Panther the superhuman power. The vision quest. Well, I was like, well, the Killmonger burned it all down in the last one, and that's why, you know, we just start with Shuri trying to frantically find a way to recreate it so she can save her brother right. and can't. So that becomes her quest. Is like, well, what if I can recreate it? Yeah. Synthesize it somehow. Yeah, that's yeah. It. And she finds it. And so, and if, and for the people, I've heard a few people like, oh my God, make her Black Panther. I'm like, again, that's in the comics, everybody. Yeah. It's been done. Yeah. She's been Black Panther. It went back to him. She's been Black Panther a couple times. Like it's. Well, and again, like, and I think that's something that going forward they're going to have to work on. I, I think that she needs to become physically imposing. And she's such a skinny, small uh, person that that might be a trickier thing to do. But you're right. For that final fight scene, this worked. Yeah. I have to go back to this confrontation scene that happens between Angelina Bassett, or uh, Angela Bassett and Denai Guerrero yeah. when she has failed to protect her daughter. And she comes back to confront her, to talk to her queen and say, I will get her back. These are the people. And she is fired yeah. from her job. As a, The impact of that scene is incredible. A, like, both of the actresses are just full bore amazing in the scene. But when she hammers that spear into the floor and she resigns her position, that is about as epic a failure for that character mm-hmm. as she could ever possibly withstand. She saw her king disappear into dust in front of her. And this is a worse moment for her. Right. And I think it's also the last time she ever speaks to her queen. Right, because she dies in the interim. She doesn't get a chance to talk to her again. And, like, yeah. that is so heartbreaking for that character. Like, I've always liked that actress. She was, yeah. of course, in The Walking Dead and yeah. like Michonne and everything like that. And the fact that that's where they left it with that character maybe that was part of the reason I was assuming the, 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 there'll be some kind of re, yeah. reconnection re, yeah. she's not going to necessarily apologize because I don't think she said anything that was wrong I told you to look after my daughter and you failed about as epically as you could <laughs> I trusted you with my child so I get it but the fact that that's where they left that character that's where she sits right now I'm like is she going to turn? Like, what, right, more right, they, right. what more can they take from this character now, right? And, oh, I was just so blown away by those two. Like, that's the heart of the movie. Yeah. That, that, I think. And I like to, you know, I do like the links and the breadcrumbs if you can make it work. They teased um, Atlantis and, and Namor in Endgame. Time, yeah. They talked about like underneath you know the ocean there was some kind of you know um, you know earthquake activity and blah blah, blah. and they, and everyone read the comics boo, boo. <laughs> we're like all right hello, ready. Hello. they have if they get the right because they haven't had the rights for Namor right. for a long time and I don't know if that's like with Hulk with Hulk they could include him they just couldn't do a you Hulk movie stand alone. Yeah. but I think I think with Namor they just weren't allowed Namor. to touch him right. but now they they could. And, and it's just a small detail, but I love when he was given the backstory. Just that little touch of like, you know, why they call me Namor is yeah. that you know, no love. Um, or I'm like, oh, that was that was good. I don't know. Maybe that already existed in the comics, and I just wasn't aware of it. But I was like, oh, I like that Kugler. Well done. Well, and I like that he is 
a smart villain, right? Like, yeah. he is going more than willing to bide his time. He is going to conquer the world and, and make everybody, you know, <laughs> bow to his will. Yeah. But he's going to do it in the smart, most tactical way yeah. possible. He's going to do it that's going to cost the least to his people. And, uh... And I remember you, you weren't as high on Killmonger as the villain as I as I was, but I think we probably both agree that this is a step up in terms of a villain that you kind of want to like, oh, I see what's going on. I really like Killmonger as that he was a motivated villain and we understood why where he, he came doing. from. Yeah. I think they overplayed the evil with his willingness to kill his girlfriend and like just... Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it would have been much more interesting if he was, at least from his perspective... Righteous and true, yeah. and like which is kind of what we're getting with Namor yeah. in this one, I yeah. guess. As yeah. far as he's concerned, yeah, he wants to reclaim the world, the surface, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's going to be a problem down the line, but yeah. they're they're holding their cards, yeah. and they didn't spend so much time onto that as to take away from Wakanda forever. Right. This is very much about Wakanda, but introducing yeah. <laughs> yes, and he's and and I think they got it right on the money. Like he's been that way in the comics since he was introduced like in the 50s or whatever it was he was introduced I can't remember but anyway he's been as much a hero as he has been a villain over right. time because his interest is for his people and for yeah his, his home yeah and his default position is that we're so much better than you that we can't do anything to you that would be considered bad because yeah. It'd be like stepping on an anthill. Oh well, right? <laughs> it's his smugness makes him deliciously hateable. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see where they go from there. Uh, I think Wakanda Forever was the most pleasant surprise, even though it's an unpleasant movie in a lot of ways. But right. in that I I liked it so much. Like I I wasn't well, I didn't necessarily expect to dislike it, but I walked in not knowing what I was getting into at all, and yeah, I came sense. out largely quite happy with. Is there anything else you want to say about Wakanda Forever? I hope Kukla does a third one. Yeah, whatever absolutely. that ends up being, I, I hope that like, he gets to finish. If it's to be a trilogy, or if it's to like, be something else, or whatever, I hope he gets he, to do more. The movies are different, but you can definitely feel the vibe, and uh, he's improved on the second one. And if he improves again in the third, then maybe they will earn that Best Picture nomination. Yeah. And again, I, I wouldn't take it away from them. I just thought I was surprised that it was not. Yep. Good enough. Good enough. Thank you so much once again for being here. I, it's just nice to have it face to face and not on Zoom. And not on Zoom. <laughs> I, I mean, I think our Zoom episodes sounded pretty good, but I did have technical difficulties through the age of COVID, and I'm glad we're past it. Agreed. Um, I know this is going to be a shocker, but gee, what was your least favorite of these six Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and why? My number six of these six is Thor: Love and Thunder. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just... This is my not surprise. <laughs> They just, oh, they just missed the boat. I think they just got a little indulgent with what they thought was working on the last one, and they just kind of not just doubled down, but like they tripled down, and then they just missed the target altogether. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. Yep. <laughs> uh, my number five. Yes, please. Sorry, I'm so Multiverse sorry. Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, that's where I put my Doctor Strange. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, Which makes it sound like that I didn't really like it, maybe more than I didn't. Um, It just felt, it really just felt out of place. And maybe had Raimi had a chance to do the the first one, I wouldn't feel just so, so abrupt. And I just, I still can't get on board with the turn they gave Wanda. Right. Not in terms of the ending place, but how we got there. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe I think a case could be made that that's not how the Scarlet Witch would behave. She's be, maybe behaving more like a Sam Raimi deadite than the Scarlet Witch. Which, yeah, but she does some pretty bad things in the comics and has been the villain when right. like, oh god, and she's so powerful if she ever turns. Yeah. Well, actually, she's probably spent more time as the villain than than a hero. Right. She started as a villain in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. So, so that was my five. Um, my four this is like we're like I felt like a bunch of them were like really tough I'm like how am I gonna like land on this but I think for me my four is Shang-Chi okay Um, my three is Eternals I think maybe just because I was more surprised at how much I enjoyed the Eternals as long even as though it's slow burn it was the one I knew the least about yeah comics so I just felt like oh cool I felt like I was getting introduced to something in a cinematic way that felt not out of joint with everything else, but yet really different. Um, and then Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, was a solid two. But for me, I just feel like the Spider-Man No Way Home is just... Hard to argue. Yeah, it's just, it's a really strong finish to that trilogy. It fits with everything. It, it delivered. Apart from, you know, all of a sudden... Peter's best friend can fucking use the sling ring and make right. portals. Apart from me going, what? maybe it's a bit like Aquafina all of a sudden being a badass yeah. warrior. All of a sudden, like, we need someone to be able to open a portal. Ah, we'll make it him. Well, um, he's been comic relief for three movies. Let's level him up a little <laughs> that's bit. That's right. We like him. Let's give him something to do. Um, but yeah, that ended up being. Uh, Here's the thing. Uh, it's a solid list. We agree on the top and bottom, which honestly I think is like the important ones to me. The middle of this list is kind of the middle, to be honest. I am passionate about the bottom, and I am passionate <laughs> about the, the top. top. <laughs> and the middle is kind of the middle. But I will say, like, other than Love and Thunder, I still think these are all solid movies. Yeah. Like, thumbs up reviews worth seeing, and, and like, the ones I didn't see in the theater, I kind of wish that I had seen in the theater. Right. Uh, so, uh, if, if Marvel is really having this crash in quality... I don't think it's represented in these six movies, with the exception of my number six place, which, shocker, is Thor Love and Thunder. What? Shame on everybody involved. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I'm sure Taika Waititi will make great things in the future, and I'm sure that there'll be, you know, better Thor in the future, but I really sincerely hope that we never see a worse Marvel movie than this. And when it was coming out, like, my, my again because I was so excited to see it right. that might have led into it but like I would have never anticipated that I would have been that disappointed was it not as good as Ragnarok sure maybe that's not as good as Ragnarok that's a tall that's a tall <laughs> order but for it to be rock bottom is disappointing <laughs> I am going to put the Eternals in fifth place I really like the Eternals yep. it was the one movie of all of these and there's a few of them they're two and a half hours that actually felt, felt long. like it was two and a half hours to me. And again, I, I, I subscribed a lot of that to A, 
the patience they took in the cinematography to make it look as beautiful as possible, and the amount of characters that they had to introduce, the amount of setup. There was just so much exposition. It was unavoidable. It was either we complained that it took too long, or we complained that they underserved it. There was just no way to win after a point. Mm -hmm. In fourth place, I am putting Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think it's a very solid starting point, but it is a starting point. And sort of like with the Eternals, I'm curious to see where they go from here. Uh, but solid beginning to the franchise. Which means all the way in third place is where I'm putting Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Is there a little bit personal going to this one for me? Probably, yes. But I respected how they, they, they made a risky movie. <laughs> they, they really did, like really risk pissing off the fans and i think some of them were but some of them were it was sort of this one people debate over they enjoy tossing the ball back and forth on right i'm more positive on it but i see that there are problems here second place was black panther wakanda forever upon second viewing i was starting to wonder if it was going to take the top but in the end i think what we go to see when we see a marvel movie is best represented by this third Spider-Man movie. like, And the fact that we got the extra gravy of the you know two other Spider-Mans. Right. And, and they don't have to do the backstory on these villains. We know these villains. Right. So here they are. Let Deal the fight start. Right? And in spite of it being a, quote, multiverse all over the place movie, there is emotional impact. Like I say, Marissa Tomei leaving the franchise stung a bit. And that ending is a downer. It's yeah. kind of a bummer ending. And uh, again, I wasn't expecting it. It it has depth. And yet and, it makes me want to see, okay, well now what are they going to do moving forward? And now what? Yeah. And now what? And it's not like, oh, now what? It's, now what? I want to see more. Right. So, uh, despite what I've said about Thor, and I, I am unequivocally in a place where I actively dislike that movie, I'm not of the opinion that MCU has strongly dropped the ball yet. I know there's other movies that have come since then, but like, Five out of six of these movies are thumbs-up reviews. Right. So, like, now, are they all on the level of, like, say, the Avengers or the original Iron Man? I don't, I don't know if you can make that case, but we're 30 movies deep. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be harder and harder the more they make. Well, I think that's interesting because then essentially I think we really just have Strange and Eternals flipped. flipped. Yeah. And again, I don't dislike the Eternals. Like, I, yep. I, I didn't feel great about putting it in fifth place, but it was just, yep. Where are you, you going to lay this down? It's, it's so, got to go someplace. And uh, the, there's a lot of ambition to that movie. And yep. like I said, I'm curious to see where they go from here. And, and not to start, you know, looking too far ahead to our, you know, when our next episode would happen. But I haven't watched Ant Man, mm-hmm. Quantum yet. Right. Like, I've heard it is like, is it, I don't think you're going to like it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I will see it eventually, because um, we get Kang. Yeah. But but I did watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and that makes me feel good about, okay, I think there's still good stuff to come. Yeah. yeah. I am not willing to throw in the, the towel yet. I, I want to blame it on these young people. Like, they've grown up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe around them, right? And, yeah. like, they've just been spoiled, really. I Honestly, they're a bunch of spoiled brats. <laughs> Every <laughs> single Marvel movie has to be the most amazing movie ever, or, or you guys have fucking failed. And I think that is... <laughs> A ridiculous <laughs> conceit. Thank you for all of the entertainment. I am still here. Is my level of excitement the same as it used to be? 
I think not. I think between my kids growing up and me just being used to and somewhat inured to the to the universe, right. uh, it doesn't hold the same power that it used to. But I'm still showing up. Yeah, I, and I certainly am for the films, for sure. I might be not as eager for all the, the shows, but I think that might be just more about the time to take them all in as opposed to maybe the shows themselves. I think you can't oversaturate it. I think part of the Marvel fatigue, if it does exist, is instead of having one or two event movies a year, there's three, three or, or four, four or five, and then the DC on top of that, and then whoever's trying to kick down the door on top of that. And, yeah, I think a lot of the problems that the MCU is facing really has less to do with the MCU and more to do with the world the MCU has created. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you, my Send friend. Some love Always to a the pleasure. Family. And uh, we'll do this again, either when there's six more Marvel movies or, or just another or six or movies. You like doing another six <laughs> movies. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Boom. Yep, that was another Marvel episode into the books. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you filled your ears with some quality comic book entertainment. Uh, what did you think? Did you agree? Did you disagree? Because you can send your feedback to review at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Another big round of thanks to Sky for making the time to do this podcast with me. Always a quality guest, brother. Thank you so much. Um, and if you want to fill your ears with other podcasts, because I only drop every two weeks, because, you know, I'm trying to have a life outside of this, <laughs> you can check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, hosted by my good friend, Mr. Day- Jason Debray. You can check out the Lifetime of Hallmark, and you can check out the Terror Table Podcast. There might be one or two other podcasts out there that you can check out, but these ones are, you know, the priorities. From your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, thank you so much for your ears. I appreciate you, and I'll continue dropping every other Wednesday.